0: Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the MagnaWave Office Hours. I'm Pat Ziemer from MagnaWave. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be visiting with Elaine and Dr. Amanda Myers, our medical director, talking about a lot of things health-wise, COVID-wise, all of that good stuff. And so we're glad that you're with us. Also want to remind you, please share this broadcast with your friends. So if they want to come on and uh, ask some questions, we'll be happy to uh, take the questions from them as well. So be sure to share it. Also, during the broadcast, You'd like to talk to us if you'd send a text to 502 599 9722. We will return your call, and then that way we can have a live conversation. We always go deeper in live conversations, so we like to do that, and we'll be sending you some gifts for, particip- for participating. In, in that fashion, probably what we'll do is we'll send you a copy of the my newest health book or health book that I've dealt with with miracles, um, health miracles. And uh, so we'll be doing that and talking about that as well. So anyway, I want to welcome to be with us this morning. I want to remind you, Pillars of Success, uh, the book that I released with Jack Canfield uh, last week, uh, reached top 10 best selling status. So we're excited about that. It's kind of going up and down. We hope it gets uh, higher and higher. But that's where we are with the book. If you haven't taken a look at it, please do. Uh, Chris will put the link up and you can uh, download my chapter and have a look and then decide if you want to buy the book and take care of the rest of the chapters that are in the book. So enough of that. Business. Let's bring Dr. Amanda Myers and Elaine in, and we'll begin our conversation. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Elaine. Good afternoon. It's noon here. So noon here. It's going to be five o'clock somewhere soon. So who knows? But (laughs) so glad to be with us. And Elaine, I'll turn it over to you, and you can start us up with Dr. Myers.
1: Okay, great. Um, Well, hello, Dr. Myers. It's so great to see you. Where are you right now?
2: It's good to see you, also. I'm actually. On a little long weekend in colorado which is nice
1: so oh that's wonderful
2: colorado very nice actually yeah
1: i've actually never been to colorado i've always wanted to go so that's that's wonderful so um i guess where i am i have a couple of questions medical questions i'm going to ask you today that i've gotten over the last few days just interesting things that have come to my attention but one of the things that i want to know is how, how is things going with you in the different hospitals you work at? And if you're new to joining us with Dr. Myers, she does, she's a traveling physician. She goes to several different hospitals, um, and, uh, works in different areas. And you're also a pediatrician and an, and an internal medicine doctor, right? Something like that.
2: I do emergency medicine for pediatrics. So okay. in the ER 21 and under is kind of my life. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, um, tell us a little bit about what it's like in the different, cause I know you're, you're in between Texas and Ohio. And. Um, what does it look like in terms of COVID? Because I think we've learned a lot um, since maybe the last you know month or so ago on exactly you know treatments and what the hospitals were doing. So how have you seen uh, things shaping up for for the um, actual hospital environment that you're in?
2: So I think that most of the hospitals have kind of nailed down their protocols. We know what we need to be looking for, um, how to protect our staff at this point in the game. Um, we're still dealing with some supply line issues for different you know personal protective equipment our ppe as we call it um you know but we're re-engaging a lot of the routine management care that we were providing uh across the nation realistically so some of the elective surgeries have started again um the the different clinics have begun to open up um so i think we've got a better grip on kind of how to maybe control the spread of the virus in those settings Uh, And and like I said, how to protect our staff. And then in addition to that, how we're protecting our patients as they've, you know, throughput uh, these environments that they're, you know, potentially being exposed uh, in as well. So some maybe infrastructure changes that have happened. There's been a little bit of settling in, calming down, you know, still some decent hypervigilance going on uh, as there should be, but certainly some better processes in place. Uh, And and like you said, we've learned a lot. Um, You look back at our data in March, we were having a lot of people end up in the hospital. A lot of people end up in intensive care units uh, and not doing very well once they were in those environments. Um, We were having a 60% mortality rate in the ICUs at that point. Uh, Now we've cut that back by half almost. So we're we're losing roughly 40% of the patients that end up in intensive care units. So we're learning a ton. Uh, and applying it decently. So there's still a lot to go. Uh, there's still a lot of drugs that are being studied uh, and evaluated and, and we'll figure out where to put them into the process of how do we treat uh, this patient and at what point do we you know, utilize these different modalities that we're learning about. So we've got a lot of better equipment actually too. Uh, a lot of the COVID patients do better if they're on their belly in their bed instead of on their back. So we've got new equipment that help us roll patients Whereas before it would just be like a six man team that would go in and flip somebody over yeah. and reflip them back. So, you know, we're developing things along the way as well that are making our, our processes simpler for the staff and for the care of the patients as well. So big learning curves, lots going on.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I've actually um, like as this has gone on, I've come in contact with or I know people who have had it Um and um well i haven't like i wasn't around them when they were sick but i've talked to people several people who threw a magma wave through my work and then also in my personal life and one of the women that i spoke to recently she's a mother and she has children that live in our neighborhood a younger children and she had it actually um in march and she got very sick and she had all of the symptoms but tested negative and then um went back to the hospital and tested positive after that and she was miserable like super miserable and couldn't breathe she thought she was you know all the things that you hear i couldn't breathe the tightening of my chest i thought i was going to die now she was around her husband and her child and neither of them got sick now they were both tested um she said she quarantined in her room but i mean they didn't originally they didn't think she had covid they thought it was just the flu so i mean they brought her food they did her dishes all of that and neither they were both tested and both of them were negative um mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that they didn't have it eventually. Cause I know that there's ways for that to happen, but if they did get it, she said her daughter got the little bit of the sniffles. Um, and that's about it. That's all, nobody else in her family got sick. So are you noticing any type of pattern with like the type of people who are getting sick besides like she has no pre-existing conditions. Um, that she's aware of like why it, I, I, you know, it just amazes me that she got it so severely. I mean, weeks and she has the spots on her lungs. Now she had a, a lung scan done. She has all of the spots. Um so what does that mean for her like have you seen any in those long term and why do some of these people not get it and some do it's so interesting
2: it's very interesting and and you know we're finding that the people who get very sick from it you know fit into some categories you know they're uh older they are overweight we've got high cholesterol we've got diabetes we have some cardiovascular issues heart related issues high blood pressures those types of things we know those people are, are at risk, but they're kind of the risk group for any big illness that occurs. They're the risk people for the flu, you know, as well. So not unusual to find that being the case. You know, and, and I feel like some there, there are interesting layers of people that don't get sick, just kind of like with the flu, who gets it, who doesn't. Um, we still don't know exactly why. Um, there is a really specific receptor that this virus seems to enter the body through. Some people have more of these receptors in a higher density, sort of, so to speak, uh, and other people have lower numbers of them. And we think that might be part of the deal. We think that's why the children aren't getting this as, you know, uh, frequently. They're not transmitting it as frequently, and when they do get sick, they're not getting as severely sick as some of the people who are aging because they just don't have as many of these receptors. So we, we think it's connected on that level. Um, but, you know, even then, it's kind of like the flu. Who gets it? Who doesn't? You know, even if you live with someone who ran that common cold sort of snot, cough, fever, feeling bad, uh, do you get it? Maybe not. Just depends on your health, right? Uh, yeah. Are you well rested? Are you well hydrated? Are you eating nutritionally sound? You know, do you do things like MagnaWave, where you're getting PEMF help for your body to restore things faster. You know, like, what are you doing to modulate your own health? Uh, and how do you keep your that environment safe for you? So I think those are the game changers in a lot of ways for people. So it, it's tough to say who's going to get it and who doesn't. And that's what makes this virus a little bit scary, because we are finding some very young people getting very sick, ending up in intensive care units and ended up dying. Uh, and they don't fit they don't fit the common mold. They're yeah. they're and we don't know why they're different yet. We're still trying to figure that part out. So that's what makes this a little bit scary. The uh, yeah, so very, you know?
1: She's 34. So it was, you know, surprising to me. She's very healthy um, and she works out. And I was just kind of shocked. And I think for her, she started losing some chunks of hair. Oh. Um, and um, she, that's when, so I mean, this has been since March. She says, I still can't breathe. She still doesn't go out. She's tested negative three or four times, but she's scared to get any virus right now as her immune system is low and she's dealing, she feels like, you know, she's got these issues. And I I think with anybody, her fear is the long-term effects for her. Um, and I, I totally get that. So I think that um, recently though, I had loaned her a machine, dropped it on her front porch and said, you know, try this and she's breathing better and she's, you know, feeling better. And I think that's kind of the thing with uh, MagnaWave is that if you're just allowing your body to heal itself, the machine doesn't heal you. It doesn't do anything like that. All it does is allow your body to be uh, the best it can be. You know, I think that if you can feel better, your cells can talk better than you, you can, your body can fight things better. And I think that's you know a good offense and a good defense in both ways to just keep yourself healthy. And I think she may have realized that she ran herself ragged. I mean, she has a mom and she works. And I think she realized, you know, part of it could have been, even though I was healthy, like, was I, I maybe she wasn't sleeping. She thinks back on that time. And that, right. mm-hmm. that could be it.
2: Mm-hmm. Those subtle stressors, especially if they're chronic, you know, they just deplete the immune system and its ability to fight, you know, appropriately uh, on many levels. What we are finding with this virus is the longevity of it. So we have a, a decent number of people, like 30% uh, of the people who have had this illness, who even months later still are not back to their baseline health status, um, yeah. there's just this long play effect from the viral impact. And you know, again, we're still trying to sort that out. Why does that you know occur? Is there a specific population or subtype of people that are going to experience that type of longer healing cycle? You know, lack of resolution completely of the viral impact. You know, what is the body doing to clean and clear itself? um so we're still learning a lot about that but there's a very real phenomenon she's not the only one three months you know down the track and still having similar symptoms to when she was you know acutely ill uh with with the virus so it's it's an interesting thing we're still learning a lot about every day it seems like
1: yeah so if anybody has any questions um please call 502-599-9722 um and you can ask your question live on air you can also post them here in the comments for um either Pat, myself, or Dr. Myers, and we will be happy to answer those for you live. Now, um, has your routine changed, Dr. Myers, at all in terms of, like, when you leave the hospital? Like, I think it's very interesting to hear how you maintain, like, washing your hands, your mask, what you do, getting into your car to keep yourself healthy.
2: Uh, You know, I still am in the same patterns. I still, you know, hand-washing very aggressively when I leave the hospital. You know, a lot of handy wipes and those types of things where... I'm just disinfecting everything that I own. And then, you know, I get out of my rental car and wipe it down and then I go into my hotel room and and take my scrubs off. They go into one location. Once they're dirty, you know, I immediately shower and trade into something that I can wear in the hotel room. So yeah, I mean, not, not a big difference for me while I'm traveling. Um, You know, and it's, it's that oddity of not being in your own home, you know, while I'm working, it's good and it's bad, right? I'm not bringing it home. Uh, so that's sort of reassuring and that's yeah. effective, but it it adds a little layer of vigilance. That's you know, odd I guess in that sense because it's it isn't home. So yeah, I don't I don't think that i vary. very I fly every week, but I fly in and in 95. I wipe down everything while I'm doing it. You know, certainly the airports and the planes are becoming fuller. Uh, there are more people traveling and moving around, uh, which is good for our economy. I think. Uh, You know, most of the uh, locations that I travel, the cities have ordinances for mask usage. Certainly the planes require them uh, as we're as we're traveling in the air. So, you know, just some good precautions, I think, for, for most people in that travel exposure. So
1: are you tested a lot? Like how often do you get tested only when you're symptomatic or do they have to test you a lot?
2: No, I mean they they were testing me in the first phases of this fairly regularly, and then I think everyone has sort of recognized that you know if we do the right PPE, if we've got the right protocols now in the hospital to kind of monitor staff, uh, we can test fewer times. Uh, so you know, most places have said if you're just if you're symptomatic, that's when we're going to begin to test you.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of conversation we can talk about with the Derby too in the backside and all those people getting tested right now. it is they, shut down another track recently. So there's a whole conversation about um, cleanliness on the racetrack that I'm sure a lot of uh, horse people would like to talk about as well. But we do have a question um, from Dion. It's a non-COVID question. So we're going to kind of answer this. She says, am I correct in saying that the MagnaWave produces the same energy already? uh, We already have in our bodies, which is what we are looking at when we do EKGs, et cetera. I am going to put it up. I had a doctor tell me that in those tests, we are only looking at electricity, not electromagnetic energy. I want to make sure I'm expressing this correctly.
2: Um, The way that you're saying that is correct. We have two different sort of components of what we're dealing with uh, in a magnetic field. So we actually create a, a certain hertz and frequency of energy movement. And because we create that magnetically, we shift the electrical Chemical component of the body, so we are building a certain exposure of an energy that then moves the cations and anions in our body, so um, the sort of polarity of our cells. And so you're actually looking at two different sort of components of what a, what a PEMF or a pulsed electromagnetic field creates. So we operate on a specific frequency in our system, our brain waves and our heart function. So the way that it beats uh, in our rhythm, the electricity or the electrochemical current that we're creating in our brain or in our heart is at the same frequency as the human resonance, which is around the world, uh, connected with our gravity field and our magnetic positioning within our universe. played a direct correlative effect into the electrochemical construct of our system. They're kind of inseparable, uh, which is interesting. And, and NASA kind of proved that when we put people out of our atmosphere into somewhere else in space, uh, we change their magnetic construct and their electrochemical currents changed as well. So we're, they're kind of married. The concepts are, are uniquely bonded on an interesting level so your doctor is correct but so are you
1: oh ah, there we go so they're both there got it uh dad do you have anything to add to that do you have any
0: no i i was i, I she said it per i mean she knows because she's the doctor but <laughs> we're putting energy into the body that allows the body to be healthier and to better maintain the energy that it's producing that it needs to good have good reads of ekgs and those types of things so we are in effect helping it we are supplementing supplementing the energy to the body and uh, so as as dr amanda said both of them are are correct
1: yeah and i think that a lot of times Dion, just as a uh, non doctor i would like to say that you don't ever wanna to try to speak to a doctor as though you are on their level. Like I've realized that that's not gonna help me. Um, I try to, to talk to people when I'm explaining what PMF is or what MagnaWave does um, in a very, like I try to s- explain it in a simpler terms. Um, and then I give them more research to let them to let them study it. Cause sometimes when you, do try to talk above what you may or may not. You you get too deep down the rabbit hole when you can just share information with them and let them make those, those discoveries themselves. And that's just the truth because, um, a lot of doctors, um, they like to talk to other doctors, right? They like to, they like to read other scientific fact-based, uh, information. So I think it's important, um, to just try to say simply, this is my understanding of it. This is the science behind it. Read it yourself. So I would take it. Um, we're working right now on some white papers, for um, veterinarians, for doctors, and for plastic surgeons that, expl- that talk about these studies that you know they may find interesting and a little bit more scientific information for you to hand to a doctor without you having to go down the rabbit hole of what the electromagnetic field connection is between the cells. You may, that might be too much for explanation for you to get into, but you can have a very basic elevator speech that Dr. Myers did that was excellent her first year at MagnaCon, where she broke down PEMF. And I think if you have not seen that, we will post it here in the group. It's also on our website um, under what is MagnaWave or what is PMF. So check that out because understanding, breaking down those letters is a really great way to explain it and then keeping the studies to back it up is just you know icing on the cake. Um, okay, if you, again- We do have- Okay.
0: Uh, Katie Battis asks, she says that she works in an ICU with COVID patients, they've noticed that ones who get the sickest have HTN and diabetes. Have you noticed anything in that trend anywhere else,
2: Dr. Myers? Um, I mean, clearly we've seen a lot of individuals who have had high blood pressure, have issues that have the hypertension, the HTN that you're referring to. Um, You know, the we think that this virus is impacting us in two different ways. It's in, it's infecting cells, and so the cells are dysfunctioning, uh, which is why we see these spots in our lungs. We're getting these little uh, clusters of the virus that are impacting cell, cell structure and cell function. Uh, and so we thought this is more like a pneumonia and maybe injury to the lung tissues, and so we initially began treating people under that premise. But what we have learned also is that It it is impacting blood vessel structure as well. It's creating an inflammatory reaction in the vessel lining itself. uh, And it's activating our coagulation system. So we're building a clot, uh, which is not going to allow free flow blood movement. Uh, And not only that, it is interrupting the body's ability to break down that clot. So we're finding a lot of microvascular, small vessel problems. And that may be the other sort of component of these spots in the lungs. We're seeing blood vessel damage and we're seeing tissue damage. Um, and so that's been across the board what we have found, no matter what ethnicity, gender, or realistically the age group that you are, if you get that sick, that's the, the sort of compilation of problems that we're finding in the lungs themselves. Um, We've also looked heavily at the diabetic population because they seem to have a sicker illness course. Uh, Whether you're a type 1 diabetic or a type 2 diabetic, we categorize diabetes based on what the pancreas is doing. The pancreas builds insulin for us. Insulin is what allows us to take sugar out of our digestive tract and put it inside of a cell where the cell can then use it as an energy source. If your insulin doesn't work right, then sugar does not get into the cell and the cells begin to have a problem because they can no longer have the energy they need to function. Uh, or if you're not making enough insulin, either way, you have a problem. And so we call these, these categories type 1 and type 2 diabetes, right? Uh, and what we have found is that if you have a type 2 diabetic issue, you're two times more likely to be severely ill and potentially die. If you have a type 1 diabetic problem, you're actually three and a half times more likely to experience this. Um, so we're seeing you know, the different modalities of, of illnesses that we're normally managing in the body uh, have a, a more severe impact from this illness course uh, across time. Now, in the diabetic population, we also found that if you were over 40 with either one of these problems, that you, you were at higher risks as well. So age matters, type of diabetes matters, Um, whether you also have the high blood pressure problem matters, you know, so how many of these, what we call comorbidities, how many things wrong do you have that will stack up and create a problem? Uh, and these are the, these are the individuals that we do find that end up needing more medical care. Uh, they are more fragile. They don't respond as rapidly or as thoroughly to their medical interventions. Uh, and they end up in our intensive care units weeks and weeks and weeks, sometimes recovering and sometimes dying so we've seen that everywhere that i work
0: actually we do have a couple extra questions but let me ask you a question to that dr myers there's there's so we talk about using pemf to help regenerate the blood flow to help oxygenation in the blood to allow the individual cells to be healthier to better do their job we're not healing anything as such we're just setting the body up to better work and fight what it needs to fight. How does that apply to what you're talking about with the, with the blood circulation, the inflammation in the, I feel that I have a thought, but I wanted to help have you kind of tie this together for us. How this can be beneficial. I'm not saying curing. I'm just saying beneficial for someone's overall health, which we talk about all the time an animals health or whatever. Can you address that a little bit?
2: Sure. I mean, I I feel like I mean we we know that pulsed electromagnetic magnetic field exposures will help increase nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is one of those chemical um, messengers in the body that helps the body sort of cool down all of the heated processes that we have. So whenever we get worked up, the body shifts into a chemistry construction. That is kind of that I'm I'm in the aggressive sort of layer to protect myself or to function, and nitric oxide shifts us over into the relaxed mode where our blood vessels become larger, where our blood flow becomes thinner, uh, where we can pick up more oxygen because our red blood cells are better shaped, you know. And then on the on the other end of that, it changes the way that the inflammation is rising or falling in our body we are constantly in a balance we're on a seesaw of inflammation we want a certain layer of help we want a certain layer of aggressive immune you know sort of reaction and response uh because that keeps us healthy and safe but we don't want it to get out of control we we don't want it to get too far down the path where we can't then reel it back in uh, and keep ourselves healthy from that perspective so pemf begins to help with that process it 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 regulates things on a level so when we talk about health and strategies of for health, you know, keeping your body as tuned up as possible uh, is ideal. And that's what I think magnetic fields will do for you. Um, so, you know, I feel like if you're trying to cure this virus, we've not found something that will do that. We found a lot of different techniques that will help us out. Uh, how we help you breathe, how we position you to do that. Um, we've got a couple of medicines that we can now put in play, but none of them are working real well. Our biggest defense is our offense. It's being healthy, rested, hydrated, and in, in in the shape, the cellular shape, that might help you not have as rough a course uh, if you do get this virus.
1: That's excellent.
0: excellent. Uh, a couple other questions. Um, let's see. There was. Let me come back. Yeah, I
1: got here. it. I got one. Uh, uh, the, the- the- I'm going to show it. Vel says, can MagnaWave help reduce scar tissue? So can PMF help reduce or uh, break down scar tissue? I've gotten this one a lot before.
2: Um, I, you know, there's some, a couple of studies that will say, yes, that it can help remodel. And again, you're just, so a scar is something where the body has a gap between its cell structure. And so it builds a collagen sort of bridging network. So that big, thick you know, just sort of oddly colored area that we call a scar is really just a, a collagen layer that is sort of grown in order to bridge the two cellular structures together. Those scars break down over time, typically, in everyone. So, which is why you don't see those big, thick scars your whole life. They somehow get flatter and smaller and less lumpy, you know, over time. So, the normal, natural sequence of body healing is the scar is there to begin with in a large way uh, and because you need a lot of help in the very beginning to keep those two sections of skin close together. And then over time it's, it's needed less and less because you're building a more normal cell structure underneath where that scar is formed. So over time, the body normally revises scars um, and adding a magnetic field exposure to that can help the normal cell structure, the layering in what we call secondary healing of the scars or the, or the cuts themselves uh, will occur. And so you can help modify scars. Will they go away totally? Probably not. You've cut the skin, you're gonna know that you cut it. That's just the way that our bodies are.
1: Yeah, I would also, Vel. when I had, I've had three C-sections and a number of other surgeries on my abdomen and what I found is um, um, I used the LZR on my um, stomach when I was trying to work with weight loss, which is a red light. And I noticed that over time I would use the LZR and then I would do the MagnaWave afterwards and not only did I lose actually some really stubborn body fat that was not going away after three kids just sure. refused to leave um but I also found that my scar looked so much better after doing that like my c-section scars actually um began to like soften I guess is the best way to say it and even the coloring even got a little bit better over time for me that was my experience so I think um if you haven't already Belle, you should check out uh, Uh, the LCR along with um, a a magna wave session afterwards was really beneficial for me. Um, Okay, so um, we have some, we have another one, you got it? Okay, Northern Lights Magna Waves. I know they say to quarantine for 14 days after being exposed, but how soon could you possibly get COVID? Does it depend on your health to begin with? So possibly you could get symptoms quicker if you are at at risk? I think that's what we're finding.
2: uh, If you have a health complication, you're just a little more susceptible to the impact of the virus. So you may find that your symptoms are, you know, either happening faster or are on a larger scale than someone else. Um, We think that the average time if I'm exposed to COVID through whatever mechanism, roughly five days later, if I'm going to have symptoms, I typically do. Um, Although we are seeing those outliers where, you know, day 10, day 12, we're still finding potentially the onset of those symptoms. And I think that's why they've kind of said, hey, let's, let's give it two weeks, let's just be sure. You know, So when, when we have some variance on the population, how these things are expressed, and we don't know all the sort of ins and outs of that yet, we're saying, let's all be safe, let's give it two weeks. Um, you know, In the flu, you kind of have a better mechanism of understanding of it, right? Exposure to onset is a little more classified because we've seen the flu forever. So we know how to predict this well. COVID is brand new. We just don't know how to predict it yet. So the 2 weeks is a is a safety mechanism right now. We may shorten that as we learn more about it. As we get better, you know, sort of population data as more people get sick, if we can sort of type how long it took you to become ill, you know, then we can better project how many days of quarantine that we might really need.
0: Okay. Yeah kind of address this it also depends like they ask the question how, if their general health if someone really has pre-existing conditions and things going wrong, uh, they need to be very careful because I don't know if it's going to come on any quicker but it's going to come on with more of a vengeance
2: absolutely and and you know right right now as we're you know the big debate still opening the economy are we social distancing are we wearing masks you know how, how is this going to play out for us especially as we enter? school time fall time and then you know the winter respiratory season that we typically see you know what, how are we going to really manage this and and i would argue you know you have one of these risk factors you still need to be very cautious you need to wear a mask you need to stay home as much as possible you need to work in a, in a location that you can contain and be safe in you know if you don't fit that category then arguably being out and about is reasonable um, but still, in a guarded way, you know. Pay attention. Be careful. We're seeing huge spikes because we're gathering again. We're getting into groups. We're being, you know, back in our offices, back in our jobs, doing the things that we do, uh, and, and we're finding a, a larger number of, of infections. So, I think that's a normal thing. I think it's a natural progression of this illness. If everyone stayed home and nobody ever left their house, then we might have been able to really have this thing die out. But that's not the way our society is built, or the way our economy runs. Uh, so it seems like a far-fetched dream to be able to think that that would be the way that we would manage it. So again, if you're if you fit a high-risk profile, uh, be very aware of that and protect yourself.
1: Okay. Great. Uh, we have some questions, too, about um, two of them. They're, they're kind of similar. There we go. Kathy said, can MagnaWave help with lymphoma and what would be the treatment? And I think this is we get this type of questions a lot, um, you know, with very specific indications. But what, what would you say to that, um, Dr. Myers?
2: You know, I think all, all cancers are are interesting and they all are from a little bit of a different cell line, a different cell origin. And so, you know, the, the therapies are unique and specific to each of the different kinds of cancers. Um, the data so far that we've gotten in cancer research says that we are changing oxygenation and blood flow to a cancer cell source or a tumor of cancer cells that are linked in, sort of in a, a clump together. Uh, and that there is regression of the cancer uh, as they're trending it and following it. Um, So there's some hope there potentially. You know, do we have broad data? No. Are we looking at data in all types of cancers? Absolutely not. And unfortunately not. Um, You know, the cancer treatments, though, are in specific protocols. So if you have a person that you as a practitioner are helping either manage you know, just overall well-being and feeling better because cancer treatments are very hard on a body. Uh, There's no question about it. I would strongly urge that you connect with the physician of the patient that you're managing uh, and work together with them. Because if you add something new, if you add a new treatment into their cancer protocol, now you've changed their protocol, uh, which can be devastating in some fashion. So, the, the physicians will make assumptions about things that are happening based on what they believe to be the protocol. So they need to be very aware if you're going to add in a modality of any kind, realistically. Uh, but certainly something like MagnaWave or PEMF that changes a little bit of oxygenation and blood flow patterns. So arguably, I don't know that there's a specific protocol treatment for lymphoma, uh, but I would certainly not engage in in therapy until you have a, a really good conversation with the physician.
1: Yeah. I agree with that, too. And I also think a lot of times um, it's really just if the physician is is comfortable with you using the magneto. The the protocol would be whatever the person is comfortable with. So whatever setting was comfortable for them, and then letting them move it around. I've noticed that a lot of people want these like this is where you put it for this, and that's not the way that our bodies work, and that's not the way that that you know biology works. We're all a little bit different, and what may feel good to me may feel different to somebody else. So it's important to to you know I like to give people the large for the butterfly, and just kind of let them move it to where they feel comfortable. And and let them understand what, feel you know, figure out what is best for them. So um, just a full body wellness session would be what you would want to do and allow them to move it um, around their body in a comfortable pattern. So I think um, that would be what you would want to do if the doctor had given you, um, was aware and was fine with you doing that. Um, Okay, let's see. My dog has pancreatic pancreatitis and possibly pancreatic cancer waiting on results. Can MagnaWave help reduce the inflammation? Is it safe when he's in acute times of pancreat- pancreatitis flare-ups?" That was a tongue twister.
2: <laughs> right. Um, so yes, you can change inflammation. Um, and you you could arguably use the modality when you're in an acute flare-up. In the human population, when we have a flare-up with pancreatitis, most people are very nauseous uh, you have a lot of stomach cramping, gut discomfort, uh, and a lot of vomiting can occur. So most of the time we're saying gut rest, don't eat, you know, much. We're going to do fluids and, and, and in, in then way to, the pancreas, one of its primary jobs, secondary to making our insulin is the pancreas makes the enzymes that digest our food. And so if I make the pancreas work on that level, uh, while it's sick, then the impact factors are commonly that I just vomit vomit, vomit, vomit profusely. Uh, And I feel really terrible when that happens. So I get a little dehydrated. uh, I cramp a ton and I just feel globally terrible. So, you know, could you change maybe some of just the well-being with the the Magnaway treatments? Absolutely. Could you modify the inflammatory process? Very likely. Uh, Will you treat the cancer and change the source of these issues? I don't know that there's any data on that. So, you know, but if it makes the animal more comfortable, Uh, and maybe helps them vomit less or potentially helps them drink better so they don't get as dry, then I think those are really good things. So, but again, I would engage the vet. I would say, you know, if we're gonna initiate a therapy, a treatment of any kind through the vet clinic, then they should be aware that you're also adding in this modality.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree.
0: You know, and Dr. Marty talks about, he. Dr. Marty's done a lot of work in cancer, with cancer in animals. And one of the things he keeps saying is, is cancer does not like oxygen. And if we're helping the body better produce oxygen, and it'll, that will attack the cancer more readily and, and help those types of situations. That's what he says from a veterinary perspective. As Dr. Amanda points out, we need more studies, we need more research, which is what we'd love to get behind and help people with. But that's kind of the basis for that
1: yeah, I think that there's what I realized a lot is that it's not necessarily a contraindication to use PMF treatment when you're in any of these issues. It's just important to let the doctor know so that they know what's working and they understand what's not working for their patient. And then whether it's a vet, because again, biology is biology. So if you can make the cells function better, then they'll be able to to fight some of these other issues that are going on. Plus, when you have cancer, keeping your immunity up, keeping your immune system up is important as well, because sometimes. Sometimes, you know your immune system drops and you get you can get viruses and other things so i think talking to a doctor and once you're cleared with the vet or the doctor it's absolutely something you could add in um, to to your protocol and your wellness um, for anybody and we have another question about pancreatic there it goes um, will with would pmf help someone that has pancreatic cancer now that they have finished cancer treatment so that i guess that would be if they were off of the uh chemotherapy
2: yeah. I mean, again, I think if, if you can feel better in your day, that's that's valuable. And pancreatic cancer is an incredibly painful, uh, unfortunately, cancer. Um, so anything I think you can do to help mitigate how they're feeling would be useful. Um, but I will, again, I would, I would caution anyone who's doing this to engage physicians because cancer treatments are done in sessions. You take a grouping of treatments, you have a period off treatment, and then you t- you typically have a second phase, a third phase, a fourth phase. So we're we're doing um, sort of s- we're we're treating on a level to try to minimize the cancer load. We're watching to see that impact, and then we're reengaging another session in order to see if we can get it where we want it to be from a how much is present perspective. We can't treat it all at one time; otherwise, we would kill the patient as well as the cancer. So cancer is kind of one of those games where how fast can I kill the cancer without killing the patient? So we do these things in rounds, giving a break in between them to try to reduce the cancer load globally over multiple rounds of either radiation or chemotherapy or combinations of the two. So off treatment right now is an interesting comment because that just may mean we're between therapy rounds. So again, engaging the doctor that's helping manage this would be smart.
1: Yeah. Okay. Olivia Sundin says, I have been treating my mom for a few weeks now. She has MS. The first time I used the butterfly on her head, she said she woke up during the night with some pain slash sensation in her head. She also adds to that, is this nerve stuff waking up in the brain? So is there, is there, you know, I've seen that I've seen before where somebody who has an issue, we've treated a shoulder or something. It can get sore, um, especially with neuropathy where as they get sensation back, I think that's what she means by that, um, nerve stuff.
2: Likely. I mean, as, as we engage the nerve and, and have it reaccumulate the sheath that is coating it, which is where all of the information sort of transmits down, um, that can be, a, you, we find that to be a tingling sensation, a stinging, a burning, people describe it in different ways, but it's like a neuropathy that is now in, in, improving. So as we increase blood flow, we're going to then activate cell structure. And so that commonly, you know, you're gonna feel that as a sensation. So not unusual that you would see that. Uh, And and multiple sclerosis has a big impact on nerves. uh, And we have a lot of nerve structure in the brain itself. Um, You know, one of the primary areas where MS strikes is in the ocular nerves So they run the entire from the back of the head all the way to the front where the eyeball itself is. So you're going to get that wide distribution of that weird sensation, potentially headache feeling uh, on a level.
1: Yes. And I think one thing that Dr. Marty once told me was um, healing hurts. And I think you've said this before. There are times where healing hurts. You have to actually. Um, when you detox, when you do all of these things that heal yourself or help your body, your body is healing itself. When your body is healing itself and cleaning itself out, it can be uncomfortable. um, when those nerves wake up. And I think that that's a good thing. Um, Olivia specifically is if you're using PMF and MagnaWave with your, um, on your family or even in a business that you talk to people about that when you first do a session on them, that if they have any, you know, issues that sometimes when they detox, they may have diarrhea, they may, you know, things are flushing out of them. Um, they may feel nauseous and then you have these nerve sensations. I want to, you know, that's really important to educate your people before you let that, before you do a session so that they are worried about those symptoms or any of those issues afterwards.
0: Um, Another issue with that, that it's important that people understand uh, when you when you have somebody and they have an MS or something like that, and it is nerve related and it is quite often in the brain and those areas where it's coming from, if you will, you don't have to treat the head. You can treat the lungs and the upper back and you're going to regenerate and you're going to energize the, the blood and the oxygenation. And where's that going to the head. And, and so you, you can put it there comfortably and you can help nourish that area very comfortably as well.
1: Yeah. I like the large loop around, um, around my head, uh, which it, so it just lays on my shoulder and it's, you know, like my head is literally in the middle of the circle. That's a great way without being directly on the head as well.
0: You know, I've told my story a million times about a, a woman who had a stroke and her daughter would not, and they wanted to work on her on her cognition, which were, there was an area of the brain that you would go to do that, but her daughter would not allow me to put the coil anywhere near her head just out of fear. And so we did exactly what you talk about, Elaine. We put it on her shoulder so we really weren't on her head, but we were pulsing the lungs and the head comfortably, and it improved without having to be on the head.
1: Yeah, that's great. Okay, we have another question. So uh, Sophia says, I've been treating myself with MW for the past three and a half months for my back pain and just got new labs done. Here is what my doctor said. Your HSCRP came down from 4.7 to 1.9, which means you have much less inflammation. Question for Dr. Myers, do you use this to help measure the efficiency of MW in reducing inflammation? I can't talk today. Yes.
2: (laughs) So um, HSCRP is high sensitivity uh, C-reactive protein, uh, and it's one of our early phase markers that we I look at daily in the emergency department and people that are coming in that don't feel well to, to get a grip on or understand more the complex sort of scenarios of inflammatory processes. So we combine three different labs on, on the sort of average level to know how inflamed is your system. We look at white blood cell counts, which is sort of the army, uh, military of the body, that they're the ones that help us fight infections. Uh, we The early marker, the early phase to know where your white count is either going to go up or maybe stay the same or potentially even drop is this CRP, this C-reactive protein. Um, and we, we look at it carefully because it's the it's sort of the, the warning sign before you get to, you know, it's the signs on the road that say there's construction ahead. So you're actually getting warned before you actually arrive to the barricades that are all narrowing you down to one lane, right? So the CRP levels really do talk directly to inflammatory processes. Uh, and coming down from a level of almost five to one and a half means that the body is really neutralizing its inflammatory process um in a, in a in a very good way i mean we look at levels that are 0.3 and less are normal so still some inflammation but if you can pull your risk down three and a half times that's pretty incredible that's big so <laughs> it's a big deal yeah i mean it's a really big deal so when we look at how does your body work uh, when we're in an infl- inflammatory sort of phase uh or state then we are highly reactive to things that are we are exposed to Uh, in a negative way. We're overreactive, which means our body is going to dysfunction in that setting on some level uh, across the board. And so minimizing those inflammatory states is, is valuable, highly valuable.
0: So One thing that that people need to, and and I've had this conversation a million times where people ask, will this help this? Will this help that? And is inflammation involved with this or that? Yes. Okay. So basically these devices are inflammation reduction devices. If you can reduce inflammation, you can relieve pain, you relieve pain, you improve mobility, range of motion, all kinds of things. And so it, 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 it has shown. We've done studies ourselves with our devices uh, that show that it will reduce inflammation. Uh, some of the areas, as we push our machines through the FDA and the CE in Europe, we're allowed to say that it reduces inflammation in, in the body, and so that's that's well documented. There's a million studies that show that it does reduce inflammation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, oh. that's wonderful. And congratulations, Sophia. So how helpful is this with osteoarthritis and knees of, elder, of an elderly gelding? So we're talking about horses now.
0: Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about inflammation oh, that, right. that, that is caused by the arthritis. And if we can reduce the inflammation, we can help the issue.
2: Correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are great studies in, in magnetic field work where uh, the arthritic components are reduced, the mobility of the joint, the global comfort uh, zone of the individual that is experiencing that arthritis, whatever joint that is in, uh, is improved. So, you know, if you can, and if you can have better range of motion, uh, then we're much more likely to do something from an activity level, uh, which again just builds better health in our system. Uh, our bodies are built to move. We're built to get up and do things to to weight bear on those joints so that they're they maintain their healthy status. So anything that you can do to help put them back in their healthy state is incredibly valuable. Yes. Absolutely. And I
1: just
0: got a text from Stan. Stan says, please tell Dr. Myers how much we appreciate her knowledge and expertise in helping us gain a greater understanding of PEMF. These sessions are priceless. Well, thank you, Stan. Thank you, Dr. Myers. Thank you, Elaine.
1: <laughs> they are wonderful. Thank you, Stan. Um, so here we have other questions of laminitis in horses. You go to ask, what is the best way to to I think should we go about a severe case of laminitis? I'm starting session on a horse that is in pain. Dad, do you wanna talk about how you would treat a severe case?
0: Well, and, and we've learned over the years that is horses that are having problems and they go, they're standing on their leg or they're hold, they're standing on one leg because they're favoring another leg. They develop laminitis in the, in, in the leg that they're standing on or they start to develop it in the leg that's got a problem. What people forget to do is you gotta treat both legs. Whether they have it in both legs or not, treat both legs, treat both feet so it doesn't get into the other foot. So they don't put undo. It's like going to the state fair. As I've said a million times, you wear the wrong shoes, you come home, you feel like hell and because you wore the wrong shoes. That's the only reason. So you want to be able to treat the overall area, an overall situation. And Dr. Amanda may be able to address that as well.
2: Well, we kind of feel the same way in the human population. I mean, when, when something hurts, you automatically start using the the other side more aggressively and whether that's standing and weight bearing or, you know, just more range of motion of a shoulder joint or the way that you're positioning your shoulders, that type of a deal. So arguably treating both sides is always a smart choice. If you've got a joint issue, uh, a leg issue, a hip issue, those types of things, because in, in general, you're going to put more work onto the opposite side. Uh, which will stress it, because now you're asking it to do something it doesn't normally do, and you're likely positioning the joint in a way that it's not neutral. You're asking it to, because you're shifting your weight, you're tilting it in a way that will make it more prone to have an injury as well. Uh, You're cantilevering weight, if you will. So treating both sides is imperative to get somebody through that event and feeling better.
1: Um, and I think to that, Dad, do you think that with a severe case of laminitis, like how often should she be having sessions on this on this horse? I get that a lot. Should I start with? Should I do it once a week? Should I do it twice a week? Like, what would be your um your what would be your recommendation there, Dad, in terms of um the the treatment of often uh, how. In a
0: laminitic situation, and again, Dr. Myers can probably add some, some meat to this conversation, but as often as possible. You, you you know, to say the horse has got laminitis and I'm going to treat it once a week and he's going to stand on it or not stand on it or favor it for the other six days, you got to get ahead of it. So I would say easily you want to treat five, six, maybe 10 days in a row, and then as often as you can or as often as necessary to maintain the improvement. Circulation is ultimately critical to laminitis. You want good blood flow, good oxygenation, good circulation to the area to help heal it.
1: Yes, okay, so d- more in the beginning, definitely as much as possible, that is great. Absolutely. And do the whole, you know, Absolutely. all the hooves, and, and then, you know, I, w- I would also recommend doing a full body treatment in between, so you maybe do all the hooves on, Mon- you know, all the, the, the hooves on Monday, the legs, and then maybe the next day you, you do the same thing, but you also do a full body treatment. Oxygenating all the blood is very important. Absolutely. So, So uh, Anna Marie asks, I have a horse with melanomas on the top of his head. Do you think they will shrink them a little? They are very common in gray horses and there is no treatment and they are inoperable. They are very large. So gray horses do seem to get those uh, melanomas because of their coloring. Uh, What do you, what do you think? Um, Dad, Dr. Myers, anybody?
0: I I I don't think you're going to spread it. I think you're going to potentially help it, but that talk to your vet and see what they think, Dr. Myers.
2: I mean, I would agree again, you know, most of these cancers don't like oxygen. Uh, They die in it. I mean, we've got good scientific research. One of our scientists won the Nobel prize for finding that. So, you know, I mean, this is a known fact. So if we can increase circulation, increase oxygenation, you know, maybe the, this tumor will shrink. I don't know that I've seen research data in that, but it seems intuitive to think that. So, you know, again, engaging your vet would be a very reasonable uh, thing to do, but especially if they're in locations where they're obstructing vision, or hearing, if they're making the horse a little more hypervigilant and skittish, then it'd be valuable to go ahead and treat them uh, so that the horse's quality of life improves.
0: Well, you know, and, you know, and you also have a situation there is a device approved by the FDA. It's called the Optune device for glioblastoma brain tumors. It's not healing the, the it can, what it's doing is it's slowing down the growth. It is seeing some reduction in the size of the tumor, which allows other things that they're doing to be better uh, applied or dealing with those types of situations. And so there again, it's a classic situation here that it could potentially shrink. And that's what this device does to help them be able to better fight those tumors.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely worth trying as long as your vet's aware.
2: Yeah, as long as you're better. and it'd be it would be an interesting study. Take some pictures, measure them, show the measuring tape, take a picture, uh, do do treatments. You know, kind of document how long you're doing them, what level you're doing them at. You know, and then do a progression of photos over ten sessions and see if there's any change. I mean, prove prove the point, or know that they're not changing. One of you know one of the two will happen, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it would be worth a chance to to see could you improve that because there's really no other treatment available.
0: Correct.
1: Okay. Great. Uh, oh, Anna, Anna she just purchased a mine She's very excited to start her journey. She's seen a huge difference in the well being her horses, so that's wonderful. Um, Good. I'm so excited. So, Alicia Carroll asks, I have a client who asked about Equoscope. How does this differ from Magnoid? Now, Dad, do you, are you familiar with Equoscope?
0: You know, I, I I would need to look at that. So, I will go look at the Equoscope and and what its modality is. Is that, is that a familiar term to you, Dr. Yeah. Amanda? You
1: know? I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, um, so, so I'll <laughs> So microcurrent, and, and, it, it it looks at the micro. You like it does something where it measures the microcurrents in your body, um, and then it gives a specific microcurrent back.
0: So, so microcurrent. Uh, Microcurrent is actually a current that helps heal cells, it is a healing device to help the healing process, whereas TENS is an inflammation reduction device, quite often people get confused with those two, so if it's a microcurrent device, it's working on the area to to nurture the cells. But it's very specific in where it is. And with the MagnaWave, you can cover a much broader or larger area. That's not gonna say that the echoscope is not valuable and couldn't be used complementary, but there are ways they are definitely different in what they're doing, although MagnaWave does nurture the cells so they can again heal in a better manner. So yeah, there the are is
1: to, is to 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 fix the abnormal electrical current in the tissue. Um, to help speed healing is what I've remembered. Um, I did one time talk to a, a, a chiropractor about it. And he said there was, like you said, dad, it's a smaller area. But what he noticed is um he would wait 24 hours after a MagnaWave session before he would do the equoscope because what he realized is that the MagnaWave session actually improved those same tissues, so if he did the equoscope and he looked at the electrical currents, I, I guess it does some type of intelligent reading of your electrical currents in that area. And then he noticed with the MagnaWave session, it was a, it was an improvement within 24 hours after um, the electrocurrent. So they do work really well together in terms of, I wouldn't substitute one for the other. I think using them both is, is an excellent way to go about uh, you know any type of wellness.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Okay.
0: So Kate Meyer says that she has a great laminitis case. She'd be happy to discuss with whoever asked that That question.
1: That was Chagoda, and you both are in the certified group, so you guys uh, can out there.
0: There you go. So, we're about out of time. Looks like the questions have about run out. Uh, any thoughts, Dr. Myers? On, I mean, this is, this is incredible. The depth that we can get to. I wish we'd have gotten some more folks on the phone potentially, but it, it really, the depth that we go to here is, is wonderful. And, and we are working. I know you and Elaine have been talking about finding some areas where we can talk about specific modalities to work with certain indications and doing some initiating some initial studies, some small studies that. Can maybe lead to larger, full-blown studies.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, kind of exciting, right? To be able to take something and learn more about it, and to potentially then create just information that helps people. You know, a lot of this stuff is you, there's a there's a deep rabbit hole that you can get into with a lot of these modalities. From that perspective, you know, a lot of physics, a lot of dark field and quantum stuff. So, you know, getting something that is accessible and approachable that you can hand a client or uh an information package that you can hand to a physician would be i think an invaluable resource so we're we're actively starting to develop those things so hopefully they'll be available soon
1: that's right If you guys haven't, check out the uh, blog on MagnaWayPMF.com. Amanda or Dr. Myers has some fantastic articles about different um, indications and and all sorts of information. She puts it in a really easy to understand and understandable way to read these blogs. So um, go to our website, MagnaWayPMF.com and check that out. Um, And we'll be sending those out in our newsletter as well monthly. So it's just a really great resource. If you haven't seen it already, check out that blog and go to the video library. You can search by indication education topic, or just search Dr. Myers and majority of the videos that almost all the videos that we have shot with her over the years are on there. So it's really a great, if you're looking for more information, go check out those resources on magnowaypmf.com.
0: Also, as we get ready to say goodbye, uh, now on the Roku app on your television, there is, it's called Biohacking Wellness Channel. And you can go and you'll be able to see the office hours, the specific videos with Dr. Amanda, a lot of different things with small animals, large animals, human, many different integrative methods of, of treating and working with people and animals. And so we're excited about that. It's going to be on Fire TV as well, and soon Apple TV. So we're, we're just excited. To see that stuff growing,
1: yeah. Again, biohacking wellness. Um, if you have Roku, you just search that, um, search that up in the search box, and you can download it. It's our own station. Uh, Pat has worked really hard on it. It is excellent information in there. Also, if you haven't already, sign up for the Amazon skill, the MagnaWave Amazon skill. Um, Alexa will give you your daily um, MagnaWave briefing with the latest information every single day. So sign up for uh, MagnaWave there on your Alexa app. We do have multiple ways to connect with you guys. So thank and you. you said
0: everyone. She, she popped right up on my thing. She wants to know what we want. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell her i need some um, Clorox wipes. We can't find them anywhere.
0: <laughs> hey, Dr. Amanda, thank you. Thank you, Elaine.
1: Thanks, guys. Have thank a nice you. day. Thank
0: you. Yeah, Wave on to better health, folks. Thank you for being with us. Bye-bye. Next.